The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let me begin with a word of prayer. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. You know, some of the best and some of the worst stories in the world all start with you getting into a cab seat, yeah? Um, and it was a couple years ago, I was in Chicago, and I was with a few other Christians, and so I, I get in the front seat, and then they all pile in the back seat, and we ask him to take us to Moody Church. He was a pretty intuitive gentleman, um, and so he said, are, are you guys Christians? <laughs> yes, yes, we are. I mean, he was a very respectful, and as I come to find out, Muslim gentleman, and he said, well, I have a question. I, I heard that the Bible was written by King James. You know, is, is that true? And uh, before I could squeak out a word, um, I tend to squeak words out, apparently. Um, so before I could squeak out a word, uh, the, the folks in the back seat um, shouted almost, no, it's not true. And all you need to know is that Jesus died and rose again. And that's all you need to believe to be saved. And this, this gentleman was so kind. He was so respectful. And he answered back gently. He goes, I, I understand your Bible says that. <laughs> but help me understand, I, I've heard that the, the Bible was written by King James. And uh, so we began to have this conversation as he's navigating the intensities of Chicago downtown traffic about source of, of the Bible and its organization. And every now and then we'd hear this similar refrain from the back that says, you know, Jesus died and rose again for your sins, and that's all you need to know to be saved. And he started getting irritated. Um, maybe so was I. And there's nothing wrong. Everything they were saying is very true, yes? But as I got out of the car, my heart was burdened uh, because I could see on his face, he felt as though he didn't take his question seriously. He felt ignored. He didn't feel listened to. You know, as, as Christians... Many times when we talk about sharing our faith, we often talk about, well, talking 
which is kind of important, um, which is very important. But in a world where we have Facebook wars and angry monologues, I think one of the areas for us as Christians we need the most critique and sharpening is in listening, in listening well. So over these next eight weeks, we're going to be learning from the master listener, Jesus himself, and how to really hear others, to hear people who are satisfied, to hear people who are the social outcasts, to hear people who are relativists. And to this morning, we're going to focus in on listening to the skeptic. Listening to the skeptic. And as we learn to listen to the skeptic, then we will learn how to share Jesus the way Jesus did. Now, this is so important, I think, for us to get now rather than later or in the moment because the greatest opportunities to share our faith come in the most inopportune of times, right? I was out walking my dog a few months ago and, uh, you know, walking through and this really kind stranger, I meet a lot of really kind people apparently, but this, he was another really kind stranger. He said, how is your day going? And I was feeling a smidge snarky and I was like, nah, not that great, whatever. <laughs> So I wasn't proud of it, but that's how I responded. I was very honest. Um, and, and instead of, and then I said, well, how, how was your day going? And instead of just a surface answer of fine, he goes, he totally skipped that question and said, well, tell me a little bit. What do you, what do, you do for a living? Very kind, really thoughtful. <laughs> and as I'm picking up my dog's contribution to the world, um, I thought to myself, ah, shoot, not again, right? Um, because if we're honest with ourselves, we, we all want to be seen as the thoughtful, the culturally aware kind of person. But as soon as I tell people I'm a pastor, <laughs> without fail, the conversation changes. Um, you know, oh, you can get a real job. Or, you know, maybe, oh, you're a really optimistic person. Or what they really mean is, oh, you're really gullible. Um, and look, I know it's part of the job description, and you know that feeling too when you tell somebody you're a Christian, and whether they verbalize it or say it with their face, sometimes they'll say, oh, I thought you were educated. Oh, you, you actually believe that? Um, and so what we find is that, like most people, I want to be taken seriously in conversation, and sometimes even my own pride, yeah, my pride, it bubbles up to the top, and I start to get defensive and say, well, I'm an educated person. I enjoy science. I love history. I enjoy the arts, you know. Take me seriously. And as I listen to our passage read, I hear the weight of Nathaniel's statement afresh. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, Nazareth was the buzzword in its day for the ignorant, the uneducated, the not progressive enough. And a word, podunk. I don't, I don't want to be from Nazareth, you know. I want to be from Chicago. You know, I want to be from Kansas City, you know, down, uh, urban, you know. I, I love that. But Christianity, we got to get this straight. Christianity will always be from Nazareth. It was from Nazareth then, and it always will be. There will always be people with questions. There will always be skeptics. There will be our own skepticism that we wrestle with in our own lives, whether it's family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, People who push back against Christianity, who think Christianity is illegitimate, uneducated, simple-minded, antiquated, Nazareth. And yet I believe what came out of Nazareth was one of the most beautiful, essential, real, truth-filled, whether Nazareth or not, realities that needs to be shared with others. 
So with this sort of built-in stigma to Christianity, how do we share our faith thoughtfully and compassionately? How, how do we share Jesus the way Jesus did? And this morning we begin at the heart of this stigma by listening in on a story where Jesus listens to a skeptic. He listens to a skeptic, and as we walk through this story, we're going to make some observations on how Jesus listens. Remember, that's one of the key components for us as Christians in our culture that we need to work on, we need to tweak. We find our story in the Gospel according to John, which is an eyewitness account written in the first century by one of Jesus' closest followers, the Apostle John, the son of Zebedee. If you know Zebedee, I mean, it totally makes sense with John. Um, who knows Zebedee? No one knows Zebedee. Um, but John was there. John was there, and he, he walked with Jesus. He learned and listened to his teaching. He was one of the few apostles, not just disciples, but one of the few apostles, Jesus' 12 closest, who actually was fearless enough to be at the foot of the cross when Jesus was being crucified. And then he had this personal encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Even though Christianity will always be from Nazareth, the Apostle John believes at his core that it's trustworthy, even for the greatest of skeptics. And towards the end of his book, you know, for us in, you know, 21st century modern world, we know that everyone is biased. No one comes objective. And one of the greatest signs of epistemic integrity is admitting your bias, actually. And so if you look at John 20, verses 30 and 31, John admits right, right at the end, this is what he's trying to do. He says, now Jesus did many other things, many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, his gospel account. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He's coming and he's very clear that this is a selective historical account. Historical, yes, but selective on the stories he's telling with an end goal that you might see Jesus for who he is. So John, he invites us to listen in right here at the beginning as Jesus finds his first two disciples. And right before our passage that was read for us this morning, in John chapter 1, we see that Jesus finds two men. One goes by the name of Andrew. He's a fisherman. And Andrew, he's so astounded by the person he's met in Jesus that he's just got to go find his brother Cephas, right? So he runs and he goes and finds Cephas. And, and, and he says, we finally found the one the prophets have been talking about, the Messiah. Can you imagine a whole nation just waiting centuries for one person and he's finally here? I mean, we have a tough time waiting for Apple to finally release their new iPhone watch, right? But imagine centuries. Imagine centuries, or the new iWatch, whatever it is. They're, these new centuries, waiting centuries for this one Messiah to come and he's now arrived. So, so what does Cephas do? He jumps all in almost instantly. Um, and he gets this cool nickname, Peter, which means rock. And at this point, if you're reading John for the first time, you don't know if it's because he's really dense or he's just a really solid person. Either way, um, we see that he's jumping all in right from the get-go. And then this small group of Jesus followers, they head to a region called Galilee. And this is where we start to step into our passage in John 1, 43. And Jesus, it's very, very, very clear and, and important, the wording that's used here. Jesus finds Philip. And what does Philip do? He goes and finds Nathanael. Jesus found Philip, and Philip finds 
Nathaniel and tells him, the Messiah is here. His name is Jesus. He's from Nazareth, and he's the son of Joseph. Now, I was joking a little bit earlier about John and his dad, Zebedee, because we never really talk about Zebedee. Um, but this was a really common way to describe someone in the first century. You gave them their name. Okay, this is Jesus over against Tom and Frank and yada, yada, you know. But then you would say, Jesus, the son of Joseph, if there happened to be multiple Jesuses hanging out, you'd be like, oh, that's that one. That's Joseph's Jesus. Um, and then you would name the town. And many times this would also describe a lot about the person. It would describe, a, you'd have images that popped into your mind. For example, if somebody, if you were to tell somebody, hey, I'm from Kansas City, what pops into your mind? Oh, tell me about the Chiefs. How are the Chiefs doing, right? Whether you're a Chiefs fan or not, people instantly make that association if they care about sports at all. Or, what's your favorite jazz band? Or, what's your favorite barbecue joint, right? All these images pop in your mind when you think of that city. It's very obvious. And so what he says is Jesus of Nazareth. Philip knows where Jesus is from. It's a bit peculiar, but they can't help but get and tell others about him regardless of where he's from. And this leads us to our first observation. We're jumping right in. Before we can ever listen to others, before we can ever listen to others, Jesus first finds us to find others. Before we can ever listen to others, Jesus first finds us to find others others. You know, as people, we, we always find others to share exciting things with, right? You found a new app, and you go to your friend, and you show them this new app. You found a new work of art, and you get really excited, and you have to tell your friends about this new work of art that is just explosive in color, and, you know, the way they've used particular technique. Or, you know, for me, as a new father, I, I always show pictures of my daughter, and I know it's annoying, and I even apologize a lot. I'm really sorry, but you got you got to see this. You know, I'm, and the reason is because I'm so excited about my daughter. It just oozes out of me. I can't help it. I'm sorry. Just blanket I'm sorry to the whole congregation. I'm sorry. Um, but when we come to Jesus, for some reason, we pause. And this isn't me making an observation. So what's going on? Christianity Today actually shared a survey conducted by Barna. And they did a whole bunch of surveys of different religious groups, but this is what they, they saw. Based on Barna's definitions of religious groups, evangelicals, evangelical free church, so that's us, evangelicals are most likely to believe evangelism is their personal responsibility, 100%, but also have the highest rate of failure to follow through. 31% did not evangelize in the past year, did not share their faith. Yikes. So what's going on here? You know, I, I love reading The Onion. It's the satirical news organization. They always have, like, really goofy um, articles. And I think this one article they wrote captures some of my worst fears. Street evangelist saves 300 souls from enjoying the park. You know, like, that's, that, that might capture some of our worst fears when sharing our faith. And the title pretty much says it all, right? Um, you have to read the rest of the article to see how they're unpacking this. You know, and if a bullhorn or shouting matches or chest signs and angry monologues that lead to disdainful looks by passers-by, if that's what comes to your mind when starting the conversation of Jesus, rest assured it doesn't have to be that. I mean, Jesus listens. We're found to find others. Being a good listener, it doesn't mean you never pursue conversation. Right? Some of the best listeners actually pursue conversation so that they can hear you out. 
It doesn't mean you are passively waiting around for someone to come up to you and ask you questions. We're found to find others. We see this pattern when Jesus is finding people and, and to pursue others, to go where they are. So let me ask us all a question. Who are you looking for? Who are you looking for? Who can you find? Who needs Jesus in your sphere of influence? A neighbor, a coworker, a friend, a fellow classmate, a professor? Who are you looking for? If you're here this morning and you define yourself as a skeptic, I know that may sound really weird. <laughs> like, this is, this is where you go. This is why I don't like Christians, because they're proselytizing people. Um, but we share Jesus because we believe he's the world's greatest hope and comfort and the only way of salvation. And that may sound arrogant, but if he is, and if we do believe that Jesus is the only way and we never told you, we would be real jerks. Because we have the greatest news in the world and what we believe is the only way of salvation and eternal life and we think, ah, we don't want to tell you about it. You'll be fine. You'll figure it out. We don't do that with anything else. But then when we get to Jesus, we go, well, maybe not. You, know, you see, Christianity will always be from Nazareth. Always. So it may always come across a little weird for people, but that should never stop us from looking for others. Because if we never find others, we'll never have the opportunity to really listen to others. But now, a common question that comes, and it should come, I think as thoughtful Christians, um, when we make this observation, is the question, if now we're focusing on looking for people, does it transform people into targets? Right? This is, this is a common question people ask. You know, degrade people from deserving of love to now objects that need conversion. It's a good question. Let's return to our story. Jesus, he finds Philip, and then Philip goes and finds Nathaniel, right? But, but unlike Cephas, there's no neat nickname for Nathaniel. There's no quick buy-in. Instead, Nathaniel says, Philip, what are you talking about? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And if you've ever tried sharing your faith, and I'm sure some of you had a similar experience at this point, um, and maybe this captures your worst fears and why you're afraid to share your faith. You worked up the courage, you shared about Jesus, and suddenly you wish you just kept your mouth shut. You know, can anything come out of Nazareth? Anything good, Philip? Well, look what, ha what, what happens here. I, I love this part in the story. Philip, he gets ticked, and he says, how dare you insult my Jesus? How dare you criticize what I've given my life to? I'll show you, I'll prove to you he's the Messiah. Insert lecture. No, that's not what Philip does. I love how Philip responds, and you can almost imagine like this winsome smile on his face. I, I like to think he has a twinkle in his eye. It doesn't show up in the text anywhere, but he knows how ridiculous the words he's just shared are. All the law and the prophets, all the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament has now been fulfilled in this one that we've been waiting century after century after century, and he's now here, and he's from Nazareth. Of course, Nathaniel's skeptical. And what Philip says after listening to Nathaniel is critical. It's three words. Come and see. Come and see. Which leads us to our second observation. Listening is so critical because Jesus must be seen, not sold. What do I mean? At the end of the day, there are going to be times in sharing our faith where we say, like Philip, okay, okay. I can't convince you. I'm not going to be able to answer your arguments. 
But come check them out for yourself. Come check them out for yourself. I mean, as Christians, we aren't found to win arguments. That's a key distinction. Christians aren't found to win arguments, but to love people so much that we invite them honestly and regularly to meet Jesus. Which is why I want to ask us, what are you showing? Christianity, it's, it's always going to be from Nazareth, but are we giving Nazareth a worse name than even Nazareth itself is built in with? There's one key way we can misrepresent Naz- Nazareth, and it's by coming to people with an ulterior motive rather than an ultimate motive. An ulterior motive rather than an ultimate motive. An ulterior motive makes people into targets. It's deceptive. It's hidden. A person with an ulterior motive will sound like this. I'm going to be really nice to you with the hopes that I can talk to you about Jesus later. And then if you say, you know what, I'm not really into this whole Jesus thing, then I'm going to stop my friendship with you because my whole goal, hidden or public, was to just get you to come to know Jesus. That's it. I'm not really going to talk about it, but a little manipulative. I'm going to work behind the scenes. But an ultimate motive is loving people, our neighbors, our coworkers, our family, our friends, so much that, yeah, we do go the extra mile in acts of kindness, such that even when we invite them to come join us on a Sunday morning in a worship gathering, a thousand times and a thousand times over they say no, we continue in friendship. Why? Because you'll never be satisfied with mere acts of kindness because you love them that much. but rather you consistently long to communicate your hope that one day they would make Jesus their Lord and Savior. Our ultimate hope is that one day, the one and only way to salvation and eternal life and rescue from eternal damnation is Jesus Christ. And because I love you so much, of course I'm going to care for you as a good neighbor. I'm going to help you carry out your furniture, have you over for dinner. But at the end of the day, I always, and I'm going to be real open about it, I want you to know Jesus because I think he's the best thing for you. He's the best thing for me, and I can't keep quiet. Now, notice the difference between ultimate and ulterior. They both have a desire that people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, yes? But what's different? Ulterior is hidden. Ultimate is open. Ulterior is conditional. Ultimate is unconditional. Ulterior is narrow. Ultimate is broad. It doesn't exclude, ultimate doesn't exclude sharing Jesus, but it is more consistent. It's more robust and it's more long-term. You know, as Jesus says, come and see, actually in John chapter 1, verse 39, Philip imitates that. Philip didn't just get this phrase out of nowhere. Jesus says it first. And Philip imitates that in his conversation with Nathaniel in chapter 1, verse 46. It's this open invitation, even in the face of rejection, to come and to see someone who will radically change your life. So how do we say come and see today? I mean, this is a very practical question, right? Do we really just say, well, come and see? Kind of. But first, let me say this as a caveat, as a warning. This is always going to take more time than we initially think. And it's many times going to take more time than we initially hoped we'd have to invest. (laughs) Because it takes friendship, sometimes years, sometimes decades. Sometimes it's like that. But many more times it's with relationship over the long haul. Especially in an urban context, 
where people are very transitory. We know this about our neighborhood. You're moving to a different apartment, so you get to know different neighbors, so then you move out to the suburbs, so now you have new neighbors, and your job is bringing you and traveling you most weekends. This is difficult. It's not easy. But practically, here are three things. Practically, it looks like an invite to a church gathering. It may sound weird to Christians, but actually to un-Christians it doesn't. Um, it's, I've had plenty of conversations. It's very simple. Don't make it more awkward than it has to be. What are you doing Sunday? Oh, I'm gathering with my church family. You want to join us? That easy. Or saying, would you like to join us for a community group gathering? We just get together. We talk together about how Jesus is transforming our lives. We have some food. We have a good time together. You're welcome to come. Or thirdly, it could be, hey, can we go grab a cup of coffee together? I'm reading this book. Or I will read a book you called The Reason for God by Tim Keller. I'd love to hear your questions and talk through them. Um, and just listen to people. And then there's one final way. I said three, but there's actually four. Man, that's deceptive. That's ulterior. Sorry. Well, the, another way is, is just telling your neighbors that you love them and God loves them. Um, sometimes it comes from a cry of my daughter. Um, other times... In all seriousness, it just comes an honest conversation with our neighbors. I was out watering my herbs, and I got to clarify what I mean by herbs. Um, I have an urban garden with like basil, so we don't live in Colorado, so I don't have those kinds of herbs. But I'm watering my urban garden and got to know some of my neighbors around in our, in our apartment building and our neighbors that live right above us. Um, we've had dinner together. We've helped each other move furniture Really, he's helped me a lot more than I've helped him. He's, a, once again, a really kind guy. Um, I always feel like such a jerk around these things. But uh, so, so he was coming out, and I've been praying for my neighbors and thinking through that. And just there are different times where God lays it on your heart to talk with people. He does that. That's his, the work of his spirit guiding us. He's actually involved in our lives. So this isn't something, some God far away who's disconnected from his world, but he's engaged in Christians' lives um, and non-Christians and working and preparing their hearts. But... I felt burdened for my neighbor, Mike, and he came down, and I'm watering my herbs. And, uh, and I just said, Mike, I hope you can hear this past my pastoral role, because he knows I'm a pastor. But as a good neighbor, I just really care for you. And I want you to know that God cares for you so much that he came and he died for you. And I want you to know him, because I think he's the best thing in the world for you. I hope that doesn't make our relationship awkward. Um, but because I think it's the best thing in the world for you and for me, I have to, t I just have to tell you. And you know what his response was? And this is the work of the Holy Spirit continuing to work, and he can do the same thing in your relationships. He said, Gabe, I know that you care about me, and I'm so thankful you told me that. He hasn't come, <laughs> right? He's not, he's not here. He's not engaged in another church yet. Where'd it go? But also hear this, we're still really good friends. We still have dinner together. We still help each other move furniture. It's not all of a sudden I, I became ostracized. But now he knows what drives my love for him. Now he knows why I care for him so deeply the way I do. It's not just because I'm a nice guy who's optimistic and gullible and can't get a better job. <laughs> it's because I really believe this is the best thing in the world, that Jesus is the best person in the world for us. So what are you showing to your neighbors, to your friends, your coworkers? You don't have to come with an ulterior motivation. You can be very open 
about the ultimate motivation that we are given now as followers of Jesus, to be open and honest with those around us. Now, if you're a skeptic and you're here this morning, I also want to say this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the ways that we many times are impatient. I'm sorry for the many times that we try to lead you rather than love you. I'm sorry for the times I've tried to lead others and not love them. I'm sorry for the way we don't listen to your questions that are really well-founded questions. And I'm really glad you're here today. Um, and, And look what happens when we give Jesus a chance. In verse 47, Nathaniel, he approaches Jesus. And he accepted Philip's invitation, which maybe is a warrant to what Philip's persona and his winsomeness and also the work of the Spirit. And what are the first words out of Jesus' mouth? How dare you question me? How dare you doubt? No. Again, it's affirmation and respect for this skeptic. Isn't that amazing? I mean, listen, this is, this is what Jesus is saying. Look at this here. An Israelite for real who isn't full of deceit. In some of your translations, it has the word deceit. Other of your your translations has guile. And what this is trying to get at is that Nathaniel, he's not trying to look smart. He's not trying to be sneaky by avoiding the truth, but he's very epistemically honest. He's actually pursuing the truth. He's wrestling with his own questions and the facts that are before him. Nazareth doesn't make sense. Philip, I, I don't understand. Can really anything good come out of Nazareth? This, this doesn't jive with what I've read. Help me understand. And Jesus says, look at this. A real Israelite. Without guile. Without deceit. And when Nathaniel hears these words of affirmation, something changes in the way he even looks at Jesus. What's his next question? How do you know me? You finally respected my questions. You know that I'm pursuing the truth. You don't just dismiss what I'm having to say, but you're listening to me. And Nathaniel, he asks this question and Jesus responds, Oh, Nathaniel, before Philip even called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Now, many find good cause for saying, I saw you under the fig tree as an idea that maybe Nathaniel was reading Torah the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, or maybe there's something secret that he said under a fig tree um, that Jesus and Nathaniel only know. Whatever it means, it couldn't be trivial. Because Nathaniel may have been many things, but one thing he wasn't was gullible. We see this right at the very beginning of the story, and it shocks Nathaniel. Knocks his socks right off, and we can't miss... That Jesus doesn't treat Nathaniel's questions as trivial, but he leads him deeper into a truth of who he is and who Jesus is. And he's in essence saying, yeah, I know you, Nathaniel. I've been listening to you your whole life. I saw you, your questions, your doubts, your skepticism before you even heard of me. I knew about you. I was listening. Which leads us to our third observation. When Jesus listens... He affirms, not attacks, honest skepticism. Jesus affirms, not attacks, honest skepticism. So I want to ask each one of us in here this morning, are you listening? Are you listening? First, are you listening to your own questions? If you're a Christian here this morning, you should find great encouragement from this, that we don't have to step out in blind faith. (laughs) Jesus wants us to pursue the answers to our questions through Scripture. 
He wants us to be thoughtful. He disregards mindless skepticism and mindless belief. We're meant to use our minds as Christians. This is a very good thing. So many people think that to step inside the church doors, you have to leave your brain out there on the sidewalk. That's not Christianity. That's not what Jesus is calling us to. Are you honest with your own questions, Christian? Secondly, are you listening to others? Because, check this, if you're not listening to your own questions and your own doubts, what's going on in your own heart and mind, good chances are you're not going to listen to the questions and doubts of others. If you're not taking your own questions and doubts seriously, you're not going to take the questions and doubts of those around you seriously. You're not going to be able to empathize. But when you do, you might actually find yourself more equipped in conversation. You can say, I had that question too. I wrestled through that too. And as I dug deeper, rather than pushing away, I went deeper in. I see that Jesus, this is how he's guiding me in this. So are you listening to your questions? Because if you're not listening to your own questions, you'll never listen to the questions and doubts of others. We don't have to be afraid. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is confident that if you pursue truth, you'll find him. If you find truth, you find him. And if you're here this morning and you categorize yourself as a skeptic, I want to ask a, a serious question of you. Is your skepticism honest? Is your skepticism honest? And this is hard to, to navigate, but there's a big difference between searching for truth as a skeptic and hiding from truth as a skeptic. There's a big difference between a skeptic who doubts because they don't have enough evidence and a, a skeptic who doubts because they don't want to find the evidence. Are you honest with your questions and why you have the questions you have? Christianity will always be from Nazareth. It'll have a lot of questions with it. But are your questions with Nazareth or your sex life? Are your questions with Jesus and what he has to say and who he is or with what he has to say about your money? Are your questions with Jesus or what he has to say about religion and your relationships? The first question we need to answer is who is Jesus and did he rise from the dead? And if he did, we come at those topics at a totally different angle. We come at those topics by saying, okay, here is the one who has life and life abundant, resilient life that's conquered sin and death. What does he have to say about sex, money, and religion? Now he has authority, not just really neat advice. Jesus knows where he's from. He knows he's from Nazareth. Do you know where your questions are coming from? Returning to the end of our story in verse 49, after Nathanael encounters a Jesus who's heard him, who knows him, who respects him, the floodgates open up. And you could almost imagine Nathanael tearing up as he realized it's Jesus, not just somebody from Nazareth, but Jesus the Christ. And he shouts, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. And Jesus says, you've got it. I'm so ecstatic. No. I mean, this whole story is kind of topsy-turvy. You think that these responses, and, but Jesus doesn't respond that way. Jesus sometimes hears even below what we're saying, what we're saying under what we're saying. And he challenges Nathaniel by saying, because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree, you believe me? Just wait. You're going to see greater things than this. I'm even greater than this. This is the God honest truth, truly, truly. You are going to see the intersection of heaven and earth in me. 
And this was one of the most audacious claims you could make in the first century, especially in a Jewish culture. And it leads us to our fourth observation and the final observation. Jesus is always more, never less than we think. Jesus is always more, never less than, than we think. Nathaniel the skeptic, he finally says, Rabbi, meaning you are the great teacher. You are the son of God, which means all the prophets have been pointing to this one promised Messiah anointed by God who carries forth royal overtones of the king of Israel who will now throw off the shackles of Rome and bring liberty to Israel as God has promised. And Jesus says, you don't even know the half of it. I hear what you're saying, but you're not even saying enough yet. Was Nathaniel right? Yes. Was Philip right in his invitation? Yes. But there's more. You see, Philip says, come and see. And Jesus says, keep coming. Keep seeing. You haven't seen anything yet. You see, Jesus is always calling us away from mindless skepticism and mindless belief into a thoughtful journey of discovering him. If you're a skeptic, keep coming. Keep seeing. Keep following Jesus to make sense of him. And, and if you're a Christian, there are people all around you who think they've got Jesus figured out. Maybe they've dismissed him. They've experienced a counterfeit. They have false expectations. Maybe no one has ever invited them to come and see. And some may never have gotten past the question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So what do we do next? Well, under the chair in your center here, the center aisle, um, you're going to find what looks like a little tic-tac-toe board. No, we're not going to have game time. Um, <laughs> but I want you to take one, pass it down. You'll see on the top it says, Jesus listens, and then there's nine boxes underneath. Yeah, it looks like this little handy-dandy deal. And I have some homework for you. Now, some of you might think that homework is from Nazareth, um, <laughs> but it's really a good thing. I want you to put your name in the middle box where that orange, brilliant star is. And in the eight other boxes, I want you to put the names of people that you work with, that you live next to, that you interact with on a weekly basis. On a weekly basis. So not, not necessarily your Aunt Betty who's in New York, you know. Somebody you interact with on a weekly basis. And as you're filling that out, we're going to be praying for these folks over the next eight weeks as we journey through the Gospel of John together. So what are we going to do with the eight people in the eight boxes? This is what we're going to do. What we're not going to do is I'm not going to say, this week I want you all to go out there and share the Gospel with them. That may sound heretical that I just made that statement. But we're going to get there, okay? Not yet. We're going to get there. What I want you to do first is listen. Jesus has found you to find others. Find them. Begin to do a personal assessment on what you're showing them. And listen, grab lunch, grab coffee, get to know them, and, and begin to ask questions. What's their family like? Obviously, you have to do some appropriate emotional pacing. Don't say, what's your deepest, darkest fear? You know, ah, Christians are weird. Um, you know, I, yeah. do some appropriate pacing. This is, that's why we say this sometimes takes a while. Get to know what what their family's like. Ask and get to know what they love about their job, hate about their job. Then eventually start asking what's some of their biggest fears. 
What's the foundation for their hope? Where do they find their identity? And listen. Then put this card in a place that you're going to remember to pray for them daily. Not weekly, not regularly, daily. If we really believe Jesus is the only way of salvation or it is damnation, if, that, if, if God's word is very true in this point, then it will transform how we go about this and the intensity that we as followers of Jesus go about this. doesn't mean we have to be weird. It's built in to Nazareth. And praying that God would give us an ultimate motive to love our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends enough to share Jesus the way Jesus did. That their hearts would be softened to the gospel that, in such a way that the gospel meets them in their fears, meets them in their dreams, meets them in their hopes. And here's some good news. I find great com comfort in this personally. You aren't going to do this alone. So community groups, they're launching this week. You're going to be using these and going to be talking about this in your community group. So you're going to be talking about these folks and praying for them together in your community groups. You're going to be saying, okay, what have you been learning about your neighbors, your coworkers? How can we be praying for you and interacting with them in thoughtful ways? And over these next eight weeks, I, I honestly can't wait to see what God's going to do in equipping his church for the work of the ministry and the proclamation of the gospel as we listen and share Jesus as Jesus did. Now, for the big scary question, I, I can't avoid it um, on, the, on the first one. So here, yeah, but what do we say? <laughs> right, I can't just listen the whole time. Well, of course not. That's the nature of conversation, or we're going to look weird again. Hey, let's meet for coffee. Why aren't you saying anything? Um, well, we're going to be unpacking what we say over these next eight weeks. As we journey through the Gospel of John, you're not going to want to miss it, okay? And what we're going to find is that it's a lot easier than we think it is. We have to be thoughtful. We can't just be in the back seat shouting a message over and over again. We need to be thoughtful, but it's easier than we thought it was. And so here's one nugget to take with you as you invite people to come and see. Um, one of the reasons actually we meet on a regular basis, one of the most and the greatest things we can say to our friends and family is that Jesus is always more and not less than we think. What are your expectations of Jesus? Is he just a good or even a great man, an interesting man? Or is he the God-man? Way more than we ever could have imagined, God become flesh and peering into his person is an infinite journey. That's what we're invited into. You see, John isn't writing to the skeptic who's questioning whether Jesus existed in the first century, a Jesus from Nazareth who died on a cross. Any respectable, whether atheist or theistic historian who is honorable and assesses the evidence will say there was a man named Jesus from Nazareth who died on a cross. John isn't writing to the skeptic who's questioning whether Jesus thought he was the Messiah and whether others thought he was the Messiah. Because obviously when you look at the history as it's flowing, there's a key trajectory that transformed because this community believed that Jesus was the Messiah. What's John's ultimate goal in writing? It's that we would understand that Jesus is God. I mean, before we meet the skeptic, Nathaniel, at the very beginning of John's Gospel account in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you jump down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, His beauty, His magnificence, His obeisance. 
glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Heaven came to earth. God became human. The Logos, the Word, ultimate reality became visible in Jesus. In Jesus from Nazareth. You see, Christianity will always be from Nazareth. It comes unassuming, humble, powerless. But the way of heaven, with all its power, its glory, and its brilliance, must tread through the stigma of Nazareth every time. Will you follow Jesus to find others with the ultimate motivation of love? And will you, will we, will I, be listening to others? So I can share Jesus the way Jesus did. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.